Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello and welcome to the Newberry Tart. We're sitting down with Juji Morales to speak with her about her new book, Dreamers, about her 2015 uh, Caldecott Honor and Pro Bel Prey winner, Viva Frida. Um, and we're so happy to be here with her during the Decatur Book Festival at Little Shop of Stories. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. I'm, I'm Juji. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, my pleasure. I just have to say that one of the things I really love about Dreamers, I just love the fact that this is about a library, but the reference in the back is so extensive, like the books that inspired you mm-hmm. and, and continue to inspire you and how you made it and everything about it is all in the back. And nobody does that. Like a lot of times people see writers or illustrators and they're like, oh, I wonder, you know, what kind of books they like or what they find inspiring. And there's no way to know. Nobody ever really even talks about that, but this is like a spectacular list. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna tell you two things about this. Like you're saying, why why nobody else does this? Why people aren't doing it? And I think that, at least for me, and specifically with this book, I really want readers and children to be able to tell their own stories. And a way for for me to invite them to do that is to tell them how is it that I found out that I can make my own stories and and um, it, it might be like almost like a mysterious process and what I think I'm trying to to say to especially to children is that you find inspiration you find teachers like I did when I when I saw these books and then it is through even more teachers, some of them pretty much at the public library, that I found how I could make my own books and tell my own story. So then, maybe may, may be too ambitious, but what I want with this book is kind of to put all of that inside a circle, you know, which is the fact that um, this, this, this book is so much about me finding a voice, and I wish that that could be something that is extended to everybody, that everybody realizes how valuable their voices their voices are and in that I need to acknowledge the way I found it and the way I found it was through many of these books and these books are, are, are to me they are like my family and some of them I haven't seen in a long time because I saw them at the beginning of my library they were books that some of them completely changed the way I saw the world that I saw my own life, that I saw my own path. Um, and some of them are books that are more recent, but that still have had a really important impact in my life and, and how I see myself as a book creator or as someone who has something to tell. And when I was making this, this um, the, the images actually, uh, I was talking with my editor not long ago um, about the fact that at the beginning I didn't even tell him that I was doing that. Uh, the text doesn't necessarily talk about any particular books, so I could do with the images whatever I wanted. And so he didn't know whether I was gonna recreate any specific books or anything of the sorts. And, and then I start doing it and at the beginning, I was a little unsure because uh, 
there are always issues with the rights of images of other people, and I, I didn't want to infringe any of, of, of those rights. Um, at the same time, I felt like I cannot just make the images of books uh, with the title, uh, only, only the title. I was thinking like, that's a way to do it, but uh, we are talking mostly about picture, picture books and to not to have their images. Um, I, and not knowing really what to do, what I did was to make them, you know, to paint them as, is, as I did so much with, um, with almost anything that I fell in love with. Like when my son was born, I, all, all I did was to draw him again and again and again. <laughs> and in some way, it, this was kind of like that. You know, these this, this books that I've been infatuated with, here I'm doing their, their portraits. So it was a really beautiful exercise for me to do that and then to recount them, yeah, like to put them in a list and see this is my family, these are the books. And a, a lot of them didn't make it there because some of them I don't even remember them. And some of them I didn't even have the English to remember them. I have memories of, of images and experience, but I don't even know what they are right now. So they, they are not there, but I hope that with this list and within this list, all of those other titles that might be kind of forgotten in some of the corners of the library that we can remember how powerful they are and that they are still there. It's just so perfect because not only is this like a beautiful and moving story about your life and about the library, but then you're, you're, you're fulfilling the role of a librarian too with the curating. It's amazing. Wow, thank you. <laughs> and I, um, you're talking about making a circle with the books. But I also thought that your note about your art in this contributes to that because you're showing what makes up your world and what inspires you. Yes, and exactly. you know, I think I think sometimes we all need a reminder that there's pretty amazing things around us all the time. And it, we can be inspired and think something's beautiful that's totally ordinary and it could be something that we could put forth as part of art or part of our lives. It, um, yeah, because yeah. It, it seems like we think of art as something so special, so kind of in another level of the world mm -hmm. that it seems unreachable, mm -hmm. right? That yeah, we don't have enough talent. Yeah, I don't know how to do those mm -hmm. things. Yeah, it cannot be done just with ordinary things. You almost have to have like magic or, mm -hmm. or, or magical tools and magical mm -hmm. uh, materials. But understanding that actually... Um, artistry and, and just the, the impulse and the need to create is so ordinary, is so us, mm -hmm. is so everybody. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to be born in a special planet or with signs in your hands that tell you you are going to be this creator of things. <laughs> it's, it's just right here with what mm -hmm. we have in front of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is also with with the things that you less imagine that, mm -hmm. that will create art. Not even mm -hmm. even the, the humble things or even the things that you kind of like, eh, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. just not not gonna well, enter yeah. the, the, the world of yeah. art. Yeah. Well in particular you talked about the floor in your house. Yes. So yeah, I mean it's you know something that you see every day or exactly. you walk on it and exactly. you know, yeah. Yeah. It's well calling attention the things to that. that I, 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 I saw because when I, when this house that we are talking about is a house that I went to, when I moved to Mexico, I didn't have a place where to work. 
uh, and I needed to have my place to live and I need to have a studio because I was I already had some contacts for books and I, I bought what I like to call a Mexican ruin and it was just this house that was pretty much in shambles and then I had to make it livable and one of the things that I realized is as people start working in my house um, and, and maybe this is more um, something that people are more aware here in the United States but in Mexico people who work in construction they are regarded as people without skills, people without, you know, mm. not much. Uh, actually, they are paid very little. And uh, while they were creating this house, I just realized that they were artists. They really are artists. So when I photograph the floor of my house, I it in a way that a lot of us have no idea even how to make something like no. that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and then thank you for pointing that because it, it reminds me just how we have art all around us and we are just not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Moving um, from Dreamers into some of your other work, mm -hmm. um, we were really curious, um, in particular something like uh, Viva Frida, mm -hmm. um, really curious about you working with different art styles within s single pages. Um, whereas, you know, Viva Frida, it looks like you've made little sets yes, that did. you can just photograph. Uh -huh. And Frida looks like a puppet. Is she a puppet? It is. Okay. It is, it is, yes. um, and then, of course, but you have your drawings in there, too. And then yes. you have textures and you have the felted animal and um, animals. And um, so how, how does that all come together? How does that end up coming together? I always <clears throat> say that I always blame the fact that I start doing art so late with that I'm not attached to anything because uh, almost everything that I need to, like for making my books, I needed to learn how to create mm -hmm. anything from painting, whatever I was gonna choose, I didn't know how to do it, so I was gonna have to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I don't have like a specialty. My specialty, if anything, is to find what is the next thing I don't know how to do. and. In, in a way has led me to re, to figure out what every different book might be expressing uh, also through the different ways that I will be making the art and it doesn't have to be just one way or the other because perhaps I'm gonna say better within the case of Viva Frida I wanted to have a differentiation between the world as the real world and the world of her creation and her dreams. Mm -hmm. So how could I better accomplish that? And I just went for the craziest idea and I thought like, okay, I'm gonna make sets and that's gonna be the real life thing. And then I can um, uh, give the message of how her world, her paintings and her artwork were part of her creation kind of like dreams and then that's when she enters the painted world that's the one that is painted in my case I painted it on paper she she used to paint on canvas mm -hmm. but it, it was it wasn't a, a 3d world anymore and it, it worked at least if it worked for me in the way that I I intended to tell this story um, between the, the the journey between these two worlds the interior world the outside world 
and 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 it worked. I guess I, I it worked. Oh yeah, of course. And then, <laughs> uh, like when making, for instance, books such as Rudas and Niños, mm-hmm. um, I very much wanted to connect with the artwork that is made for the posters for the Lucha Libre, and mm-hmm. they are usually at least in the old style they were uh, seal screen. Uh, I, so I wanted to have something that connected to that kind of uh, that visual uh, mm-hmm. art and, and, and also the, the, the way of creating it. So the way I approached it was as if I was almost making a, 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 a lucha poster. Mm-hmm. And I, although I didn't seal screen, I tried to create my art in a way that was almost as if I had been printing on mm-hmm. the paper. And then I guess I just continued thinking of how how I make the art is going to serve how I tell that story. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's that's how it goes. I, in particular, with Viva Frida, um, her clothes, mm. I have, for a long time, I've known about Frida Kahlo, and I've admired her, and of course, I've, um, I've you know, learned what I could about her as, as time has gone on. But a couple of years back, I think it, I can't which, remember which American museum, but mm-hmm. they did an exhibit of her clothes. Yeah. And I had never known how much care and, and how much she created her own clothes, like of her own clothes. <laughs> her, her, yes. They were almost architectural. Yes. And then they also had these like very interesting, almost jokes in them. And I, when I first saw this book, I was so excited <laughs> that you you did you yeah. did those. But the thing is, with Frida's uh, world, is that in the time when when she was alive, it was a time in which there were some groups of people who were trying to take back their pride of being of indigenous descendants. And uh, Frida's father was European, but her, her mother was an Indian, and, or at least an Indian descendant, Mexican Indian descendant. And um, she, at, at that time, like my grandmother and some of my ancestors, of course, uh, were, were alive in that time. And what I know about most of the Mexican society is that they were trying to get away from everything that 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 related to them, uh, their connection to their Indianness, you know, mm-hmm. to being indigenous. They were trying more to go towards the European side. So people will not dress like like Frida. For Frida, that was an statement of identity and rebelliousness, and also of pride of her ancestry ancestry, uh, in a way that most society wasn't doing at the time. Uh, and to me, that always represented kind of a beacon in the same sense that for me in the United States, it wasn't at the beginning easy to feel pride of where I came from and who I was and my lack of, lack of Spanish, I'm sorry, English or, or knowing how to live here in the United States. And it was that act of her of just being proud with and dressing like most people would not, most Mexicans would not dress like that because usually um, indicates that you are from the country or you are indigenous or you are lower class. Mm-hmm. And and she did, she, she dressed like that. But the other thing that she did is that she created, um, a, um, her identity was that of 
she was a, a person with with illness and with a broken body mm -hmm. but it was through her creating this image of herself with these skirts that actually conceal what was underneath that, what, what the imperfectness maybe of, mm -hmm. of her health um, it, it, it was almost as if she was painting herself as the person she really wanted to be, she needed to be. And is this colorful, strong woman, even though in, the, in her core, what she's doing is just putting, putting a, a shoulder into to the things that weren't as strong in her, which was mostly her health and her body, you know, because other than that, she was expressing all of this uh, ganas all this way of living mm. and that's what I what I, I I love the way that not only the way that Frida paint but also the way that she expressed herself she was an artist in so many oh, yeah. in so many ways yeah. and when I was choosing what I was gonna do to dress her I actually went to um, a friend who who she <coughs> she creates she's um kind of a seamstress you know, she, she does textiles, and she's from Oaxaca, where most of this um, embroidery style is made is made there. And she created a prototype for me. She made um, the skirt and everything different than this. And then I took that as an example, and then I did my own embroidery, oh, wow. and then I made her dress based on what she had uh, taught me how to do. Speaking of um, Viva Frida, normally when we talk to illustrators and we ask them how they choose projects or how they end up working on projects, a lot of them will say, well, the author mm -hmm. saw my work mm -hmm. and liked it and, and chose me and my editor yeah. called me. But you, you have so many books that are like about Cesar Chavez yes. or Frida Kahlo yeah. or Georgia O'Keeffe. It feels more like you're choosing like these influential people like how does that work for you do you like intentionally choose these impressive projects or are they chosen for you in the case of Viva Frida I, I chose it like from years before I always thought like I, will, I would love to make a book about Frida but it, ne it never occurred to me that I actually could do it <laughs> um, and then for uh, Cesar Chavez for Harvesting Hope that was just like I got a golden medal from the very very beginning because when they brought me the they offered me the the text i i had never published before that was like like the first contact i had that someone was interested in my artwork and then they come with this story that is exceptional it is absolutely exceptional and when when they when they contact me for that story i really didn't know who Cesar Chavez was uh, and, and then I realized, well, the connection seems to be that the fact that Cesar Chavez is Hispanic, he spoke Spanish like me, he's brown like me, he's, you know, his family was from Mexico like mine. Um, so there seems to be a connection there, and yet I had no idea who he was because in Mexico, Cesar Chavez wasn't in our test books. We weren't seeing about what he was doing here in the United States. And when they gave me that, that they offered me that, that text, what I did, it wasn't so much as accepting something that I thought that uh, that I could curate, right? I say, okay, I'm going to take this, but not this, or 
something like that. I was just taking what they were giving me from at the moment, and when I opened, the, they sent me um, I, an envelope with with a story. That was the time when we didn't use email yet, and uh, and they said we have this story and we would like you to consider it. And when I'm reading this, I cannot believe this, the power of the of the story of this man. Um, and not only was beautiful, but I, then I was also suspicious. I was thinking, like, <laughs> you know, like it's too perfect. It is too perfect. And then, and then the other thing is that I have seen about Cesar Chavez, and um, like in the street, uh, in, in in the mission culture, in the mission uh, district, which is the, the Hispanic Latino neighborhood in San Francisco. I have already seen people talking about him, and you know, there might have been. Uh, protest and people will come out with 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 the posters and her, his face and the si se puede cry um, and at the time I didn't know much about him and when I saw Cesar Chavez I was thinking is this us a minority people who who feel disenfranchised and who more vulnerable are we trying to find a hero that looks like us and it's more than, than than really how great he is. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then when they gave me this the manuscript and, and I say yes and I start researching about Cesar Chavez, I couldn't believe it. He is a true hero. Mm-hmm. He yeah. is someone to to admire. And I felt like I was just absolutely lucky to have been chosen to tell the story of a person like him. One of my absolute favorites, and I think the first book that I read of yours was Los Gatos Black mm. on Halloween. And um, it, it made complete sense to me. I completely understood the folklore that you were drawing from in this book. Um, what I thought was super interesting by the time Nino came out was <laughs> I am not aware, I don't know Lucha, Li- Lucha Libre very well. Mm-hmm. I know about it, mm-hmm. but not a lot. Yes. I'm not aware of, do they have characters? Do people dress like characters from Mexican folklore? They don't necessarily. Okay. Um, they, they, they usually wear masks, and that's part of mm-hmm. like those who are to, cons- to conceal their identity. Mm-hmm. But what they do is that Lucha Libre during the, what, was, what year was that? Probably during the 60s, kind of like uh, the time where I was born, probably later. Um, one of the most uh, iconic luchadores was this guy called El Santo, and El Santo, which means the saint. He wore a silver mask, and he became really famous, and eventually he started making films. And in those films, he will um, luchar, he will wrestle against all these amazing beings. And uh, he actually has a movie in which he fights against the Martians. Oh, okay. Um, he, I believe, he, yes, I've seen it. The one also that he, he, he fights against the, the mummies. Oh. Oh, we have to, we have to rent these. We have to movies. find these. Exactly, exactly. So it's part of kind of like the folklore mm-hmm. of Lucha Libre. And mm-hmm. when, when I did, especially Nino, um, I was able to do something that also relates to Los Gatos Black, which is that I took all the things that I used to be afraid when I was a kid, and then I have this little kid 
to fight against them. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way the way I fe I feel it is that is this little boy who resembles so much like I, who I was when I was a kid because I was very fearful. And how when you have to fight against something, uh, also I, I have like a big deal about the fact that my mother always say that lucha libre was too violent because just it wasn't a thing for the for the children. And I completely agree with that in the terms of, of the physical violence that it might um, portray and produce. But when I was doing Nino, I was thinking more about how we all have something to fight against. And it's not that we are going to hit someone with our hands or anything of the sorts, but how we overcome those things that are most difficult for us. And in this case, for this, for this child, for Nino, it is his fears in the way that it was for me also when I was a kid. So when it is time to go and fight against someone and hopefully defeat them, is, um, is, is his fears. So, La Llorona, La Momia de Guanajuato, all of those yeah. are things that I used to be afraid when okay. I was a kid. And the way to defeat them is, is a, again, a, a way of how a child will do it better. And what children are really good at is uh, playing, at sharing, at creating many of mm -hmm. these things. And so if he is going to defeat his fears, he's going to do it through playing. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's yeah. what he does. The inventiveness of his of his counter moves, they're, <laughs> they're amazing. Um, but yeah, I was super curious about that. Thank you for answering that oh, question. Um, I love the style yeah. of this most out of all of my like I know that they're all wonderful, but I really, the style of this is just adorable. Thank you. I, I really enjoy this world, the world of Nino. I really, really like it. And um, like, like, Cabeza Olmeca, Llorona, all of them are part of, of my own history and the history of many children, especially the, the Latino children. Mm -hmm. And I, I love bringing that world and making it something a little more tangible, you mm -hmm. know? And, and like I say, in a way, to be able to play with, with your fears is, mm -hmm. is, is, is a way of healing too. Mm -hmm. So this is one of many um, Belpre oh, yeah. honors, oh, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is medals. Yeah, yeah and medals. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how many have you won at this point? Five medals and two honors or three honors, something like yeah. that. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. They call it a celebration, mm -hmm. a celebration, because yeah. it's more like that. It's like a it's party. wonderful. <laughs> yes. But also, I, I, I love the Pura Belpre. Uh, as much as I might enjoy some of the other awards and the recognitions, the Pura Belpre has a soul, and I'm going to tell you about it, because like, like, like some of the awards, like uh, the Cortez Scott King Award, the Stonewall Award, and all of those, they have been created because of a need of... Uh, give a space to voices that are usually not being heard. Yeah. And in, uh, for me, the Pura Belpre, especially, I, I got the Pura Belpre with my first book, which was Just a Minute. And I got an honor for Harvesting Hope that came, they both came out the, the, the same year. And while I might have been doubtful of what I was doing and also of my journey into children's books, as, as 
has happened in many ways. You know, when you are an immigrant, when you come to a new place in which you might try to see, if, do I do I actually have a space in this world? Um, the the put up el pre was there to tell me yes, your work has a space in this world, in this country, and. It, it changed everything that I was doing. You know, I, I was, um, I was making my books, and I, and I was happy that I was getting published them. Something I could never imagine that I could have done. And 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 there they are, these books. And especially when I when I got it for um, just a minute. Harvesting Hope had been getting a lot of good reviews, had been getting uh, like book of the year, and I wasn't surprised because it was written by Kathleen, Kathleen Kroll, and Kathleen was already very well established and a voice that was very prevalent in the community, uh, in the book community, and then I felt like I was just alone for the ride. You know? And I was very, very happy to be there, but it felt to me that the strength came from her, and then when the Purabel Pre calls me and they say uh, we 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 are calling you because you had just won the Purabel Pre award, I was I was ecstatic. But then I'm I'm waiting for the uh, the, the other words, which of course have to be for your book Harvesting Hope, and they say for your book Just a Minute, <laughs> and that I did not expect it, and then. What I realized is that there were people who were purposely looking at the work of authors like me, Latinos, who maybe didn't feel like they belonged to this place, who maybe had had a hard time feeling that they weren't enough, that we weren't doing enough, that we weren't doing it right, that we weren't whatever you want. You know, it's like there was there seemed to be so many reasons why I would never get my work seen, and. Uh, and they were saying, here we are, and we see what you are doing. And not only that, we are going to celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> what else could, we, could, I, could I have? And so, you know, they, they, they call me now five times in, in the last few years. And every time they call me, that's, that's my biggest happiness. You know, I, of course, I love the, the Caldecol. is such a great recognition. But the Purabel Pre is just, it's, it's like... It's like your ancestors, like your family, like like your your community that you maybe didn't even know that they were there who are telling you, we support you, we are here for you, we see you, and we are going to celebrate you. I love the Purabel Pre. About the Caldecott, <laughs> yes. um, we are curious about... Um, when you got the call, what you were doing, um, and then anything you remember about the ceremony. Um, yeah. that, that was both significant because um, the Pura Verpre usually calls you, now now, now this has happened, and I don't, maybe it's not even official, <laughs> but usually call on, on in the evening of Sunday, unlike the Calde call who calls always on Monday morning. And so I had already received the news for for the Purabel Pre on that year for Viva Frida. And then the ne I, I, I went to bed, and that night I was in Mexico. I was already living in Mexico, so I 
I, I was there and I was with, with my partner and some friends and actually they have a party right there in, in my partner's house and we all went to bed late. Um, and I went to bed and then in the morning when everybody's, because uh, this is Mexico City and in Mexico City also like if you go to a party you usually will not leave the party at late that night so you mostly just stay where you are which is more advisable and so the house was full of people and but, but I was in, in the bedroom and they called me and I, and I and the telephone rings I have a been asleep for only a few hours and the telephone rings and and then I get nervous because I realize that if you know in this world of, of computers and Facebook and uh, all the video the the skyping and everything at that time of the day I got a little confused about what what was best to do because sometimes if you search your phone, maybe someone might be on the screen on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for a moment, I had that moment of, uh, of panic, like, should I answer, should I not answer? And then I, okay, no, I have to answer. And then they told me, um, and, and, and it is a mix of emotions, it is a mix of being long distance, it is a mix of being still asleep, that they tell me, and you can see that this is very joyful, but I really have no idea exactly what they are telling me, right? And for a moment, it's like, did I, maybe it's one of these people, like when I didn't speak very well English, that they will call me to tell me that I want uh, a cruise, right? Oh, or yeah, some, yeah. something of the source. I have gotten in trouble by answering uh, the phone, just like in, you see in the, in the book Dreamers, one mm -hmm. of my, my worst fears was answering the phone when I knew that I couldn't deal with the conversation. And in a way, answering the phone in that moment felt a little bit like that. Like, I have no idea what they are telling me. I just hear that they are really, really happy. Uh, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, you know, it's one of those moments that, that like more than your birthday is like having your quinceañera so it's just one of those ones where everything kind of com comes together which, because because it not only means that that it, it's not an arbitrary meaning it means that you've done some work that now is is, is just getting some recognition um at the same time it means that um although you are the one who is being recognized you are actually representing the whole community mm. And then when they gave the, uh, the ceremony that year was in San Francisco. So I'm, I'm kind of like a San Franciscan because that's where, I, where everything started for me in the United States. And when they did the ceremony, uh, a lot of the people that saw me grow as a, as a book creator and even before, some of them were there and that made it super special. You know, then my friends were there and they were, cheering me up because because we were at the same place you know we were in this space in which we we had been together before and i i'm sure it would have been as special somewhere else but that to be able to be close to people that i had been working with and we've been whether struggling together to learn more or anything we were all there to celebrate You beautifully talked about and, and wrote about and illustrated in the book Dreamers 
um, your experience walking in with your child yeah, um, exactly. into into the library um, where you do not speak English. Mm -hmm. This is a love letter to libraries yes. and literacy, yes. and um, it's a huge testament to your strength and the love that you have for your child. Hmm. What, but I'm curious about what, because, you know, because I am a librarian, what librarians and other educators can do to embrace the people who come into our libraries even more. Yeah. We're always happy to give books, we're always happy to give smiles and help when we can, but if there's anything else that we can do to show that we're open. I, 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 um, I understand. Yeah. And I, I, I can tell you more of how it was for me, and I, mm. I understand that that might not be exactly the way it works for other people, but in my case, uh, because I didn't speak the language, I was, at the beginning, I was always afraid that I might be making a mistake. Uh, I, I didn't know whether it was okay to take the books out of the shelf, so I will see other people taking books out of the shelves, and then I will, I will start getting more confident about doing the same. Mm -hmm. And little by little, I understood that maybe you didn't, you didn't have to put the books uh, exactly where you took them. You might leave them at the table. So it was a, 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 a way of learning the rules and, and understanding that I, was, I wasn't going to get in trouble while being there. But I think that's just kind of like the beginning. Because the other part is that not only I had to feel that I wasn't going to get in trouble by being there, but that I was going to understand eventually that's what I got to, in which I felt that was my home. And that's, that's, that's a jump, you know, from being in a place in which you might be afraid of making mistakes to being in a place in where it is okay even to make mistakes. That's, 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 that's a jump. For me, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know if this, this is a good, good advice for everybody. But at the beginning, the librarians didn't talk to me. They didn't, I mean, they didn't uh, just hover over me like, what do you need or anything <laughs> of the sort. Kind of let me in there and made, ex made a space for me to not feel like I need to get out of there because I, will, I, I might mess up. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that, that that made it easier for me. Like if I had had to deal with a conversation or were they asking me, what do you need? I might have felt like if I didn't have a clear request, how, how can I be here uh, exposing myself you know, mm -hmm. to being rejected or, or not being understood? I feel like, like once more I didn't do it right. And, I don't come back, you know, because a lot of people don't come back when they feel that, like, like they are failing and in the spaces. I didn't have a chance to fail. You know, I got there and they just, they, 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 they the space in a way that, that I don't feel like they are guarding it from me. Mm -hmm. They are guarding it so that I can be there. Uh, I remember being very uh, surprised that I could actually use. The, the librarian's bathroom, uh, or that I could change my baby, my baby's diaper in there. At some point, I, f I, 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 I thought maybe that would not be allowed. You know, I would have to go home if I, if I was gonna change uh, Kelly's diaper. But the fact that they just, whenever they saw that I needed something, they kind of just like cleared the way for me to utilize the space. That gave me confidence that I was in the right spot, that I was in the right place. Um, like I say, it might be different for other people, but for me it made it easier, the fact 
that they didn't have to give explanations of what I was doing, why I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as, as we started, as I got more, more language and I could handle the conversations, uh, in, in the case of, of Nancy, Nancy, Anna as well, uh, my son was kind of the way in, into the library because he didn't have fears or, or, you know, like I'm not doing something right. He would just go inside and, and go straight for the books on the baby basket or mm-hmm. as, as he acquired also more, more language. Um, then he will start going and asking the librarians, where can I find books about? And you know, he had a huge list of things. That actually, he was, it wasn't a huge list. He was just obsessed about a couple of things. And then when we will, we will go there, the librarians will wait for him you know, to approach, and immediately they, they will go and guide him to the books, and he will just sit right there next to the, to the shelves and take one by one by one by one and, and, and look at them. He was still, he, he didn't read yet, but being, being in that safe environment, in the place in which books are to be seen, to be taken, to be it, it, it started to make, um, to create this space in which I knew I was safe. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, next, the next thing, big thing for me, is when Nancy, this librarian at the Western Edition Library, she tells me in a way I didn't quite understand. Like, do you have a blah? Your, does your son already have up to his blah 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 blah? What is that? She says, "Come," and takes me to to the counter. And what's I, I don't know. Maybe she just asked his name and his age. I, I don't remember her asking for any proof of nothing. You know, I, I don't know if that was. Uh, typical f- for for everybody, or just uh, like that, and then she gives me this this card, this plastic card, and what why do I do with this? Mm-hmm. And she says, "Come on!" And she calls the other librarian. She tells me to bring the books that I had been looking at, the books that I had at the table, and ask him to check them out for me. I didn't understand what they were doing, and she says, "You can take them home." She's like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> I can take these books home?" She's like, I, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's these acts of uh, one by one of telling me that actually not only I belong to, I belong in this place, but that place belonged to me. Mm-hmm. It was mine. Those books were mine. That library was mine. That space where I could take care of my son, where I could uh, spend the entire afternoon if I wanted. It doesn't matter. The, the, the space was mine. And I, 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 I hope that everybody receives that, is received in that same way in, in, in a library in which they understand that this is not a place in which you need to run away from, from, from the experience. Actually, that's a, that's a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And if, if librarians can keep giving that, immigrants and people who don't feel like they have a place, they are gonna get there and they are gonna find their home as well. One of the things that, that for me has been very important <coughs> with, with doing Dreamers is what, what the power of, of storytelling and art mm-hmm. um, is, at least for me. I know I recognize it for me, and I think that I could 
I could see that it is very, very important for everybody mm -hmm. because in Dreamers, I, I go ahead and I tell my own story, right? but I also realize how linked all of our stories are and even more so for those who had come to a new country as immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, even though my story differs of the story of a lot of other people greatly you know. mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not I didn't come documented I, I I had a visa that that granted me the not only entry to the United States but but uh, 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 the the opportunity of citizenship here and, and so my story might be different from other stories and yet we share so many things uh, about also our, our a struggle sometimes to realize whether there is a reason why we come to a new country besides that yes we care for our family and we're taking care of our little ones and uh, but besides that do, do we have a path and I know now I know because I've been doing it I've been doing these stories I've been doing the art how much this exercise of, of having a voice through whatever it is that we choose, that we choose. Um, having a voice brings you healing, brings you understanding, and if we can tell our stories, not only me, but hopefully all the immigrants, all the people, your story too, everybody's story, then we will have a better opportunity to connect with the humanity of, mm -hmm. uh, of yeah. because what is happening right now is that in the in the conversation that we are having about for instance immigrants or refugees mm -hmm. one of the things that is happening is that even the, the vocabulary that we choose to talk about them what it does is yeah. to take their humanity out and to make them something else mm -hmm. whether it is an, an, an object that can be uh, expel or, or that uh, the, the, the alien um, idea, you know, mm -hmm. someone who has to go back to where they came from, mm -hmm. the people who are criminals or rapists, or all those, all, all, all that, that terminology mm -hmm. is one that does not apply to what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And if we have a chance to talk about our humanity, and it might be telling our stories, it might be creating art, it might be putting some words in the paper with just something that brings our voice, mm. then we will start talking from a place in mm. which we are equal. Because one of the other things that happens is that there is this, this also this understanding of we need to save now the immigrants and the refugees because, you know, poor people, they, they, they just, I mean, let's, let's, let's do our charitable uh, action and let them into the country. And yes, and we always have to be very thankful for that hand that is extended to us. But we are also humans of so much value yeah. that hopefully we will start, the ones who we are already here in countries like the United States, we will start realizing that when these people come, when immigrants come, when refugees come, actually we are winning. We are getting something. We are getting the, 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 uh, the this these gifts. We are getting people who are already talented, valuable, uh, and brave. I mean, absolutely. Like, absolutely. What, you know? <laughs>
This is Newberry Tart. We are here at the Decatur Book Festival at Little Shop of Stories, and we've had a wonderful conversation with Juju Morales. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Thank you. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.